The best ROI you can get is referral business. And that's by being a great lawyer, treating your clients really, really well, and staying in touch with them. That's Conrad Sum, president of Mockingbird Marketing. If you're not getting a lot of referral business, you should call into question whether or not you're treating your clients really, really well. But if you find that no one ever refers you business, you might be a pain in the ass to work with. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. I sat down with Conrad Sam to discuss the art of understanding how your clients find you, why brand affinity is the ultimate competitive advantage, and how marketing steals today's profit to create tomorrow's revenue. Growth costs money, and the cost is your profit. So you need to understand, am I willing to invest this in order to get where I want to go? I don't think most people understand what that calculus looks like because they don't even know where they're trying to get. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Before we begin today's episode, I want to remind you that we aren't beholden to any sponsors or run any ads on this podcast. This allows us to present all of our episodes raw and unfiltered. I'm not going to push any made-to-order meal services on you or try to save you any money on your car insurance. That being said, I have one small request. If you receive any value from this podcast, please give it a five-star review. Pay the fee so we can keep this podcast free. Conrad, go get it. Welcome, sir. Thank you. It's really nice to be in Atlanta again. I love doing these in person. I understand this is the first time we've got the killer lighting. Yes. So I need that because I've got the dome, yes. which always makes lighting difficult. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so we can't really see behind the scenes, but you got three cameras. Yep. We got like lights all on the floor, all around, everything. It's a really cool effect. People listening will have no idea what we're talking about, but those <laughs> watching. Yeah. So we sometimes put the videos up also on like YouTube and on other platforms like TikTok. They'll see it. Yep. Anyway, That's let's, let's well, roll, man. Yeah. We've been, we've been looking forward to this for a long time. Obviously, we're going to talk a lot about marketing, probably other things too, but I understand you have a bit of like an American dream story. I have the ultimate American dream story. And I want to start like the caveat being, I'm a white guy. No one ever thinks I'm an immigrant. I think if my dad's name was Hugo Gomez, I might've had a completely different experience. But we moved to the US in the late seventies and my parents both were really limited education. My dad started a business and was super, super successful. And that's what I grew up learning. Like that was my expectation. And it's just a great perspective to live in and watch these small businesses grow. I remember stuffing envelopes. I was doing direct mail, stuffing envelopes as like a 10-year-old for my dad's business. He was fascinating. He was a facilitator for high-end strategy sessions. Okay. So he would go in, he had clients like Smith & Wesson. He worked with the Smuckers family. He did Vanguard. And when they did their annual meetings, he was a facilitator who made those meetings run. And he was very good at it. Man, so yeah. like from an early age, are you like initially as a kid, you're like, I have no idea what my dad does, but I'll help? I didn't get it, but like what I got to see was, I mean, coming from a fairly modest background, 
the American dream happen, right? Yeah. Like I got to see him start a business. I got like, I remember putting his office together with, it wasn't Ikea furniture back then, but like that was in our house. Like he was working from home before that was a thing. And I just got to watch it happen. And I also got to see our life evolve financially, frankly. And he sent his two kids off to college and then they went to grad school and we've had every privilege under the sun, but it was because of this American dream experience, which is super, super cool. And I think business owners get that. And I think immigrants get that and you appreciate what we have in this country in a different way because of it. Absolutely. I think it's one of the greatest advantages. I, I had a conversation like a few weeks ago and I was talking about like the immigrant mindset is one of delayed gratification. And it's like, if you were to tell me what is the X factor of an immigrant and is the ability to practice delayed gratification, because you see this with immigrant families that will immigrate to America and the parents generally are investing in the future for their children yep. and everything is being either they're saving money or they're investing money or, or whatever it yeah. is, but they're not spending a whole lot and everything is about the future. And the people that come here, like America draws that, like it's so corny, but the whole Ellis Island thing, Lady of Liberty, like that is a draw for that mindset. And that makes this country amazing because of that. Yes. Now I'm curious, you're in marketing. Yeah. You do marketing. We do marketing. I'm just curious what leads someone down this path of marketing. Like how does somebody end up doing that versus something else? It was a mistake. Else? I wanted to be a veterinarian, right? Like that was my initial plan. And I've just fallen into this job and in, in this industry really by accident, but it was at perfect timing. Back in 2006, there was this company called Avo, which at the time no one had heard of. We had a small amount of funding and I have probably annoyed half of your listeners already by saying I used to work at Avo. But recruited into this business, I was number six there. And at that time, no one knew SEO for legal. There was one dude who, Tim Stanley at Justia, who brilliant, brilliant dude, he who knew it. And then there was me. It was like the two of us and that was it. And so I got to learn technical marketing during a time when One Eye Man was king and we were killing it because no one else knew what they were doing. And at the same time when I was there, what I did get exposed to, and this goes back to my American dream and the, the nobility of the American entrepreneur, there were businesses that were preying on lawyers who just didn't understand, who didn't want to ask the questions. And there were really successful business models built on some MBA's construct of how I can squeeze the most out of my client while delivering as little as possible. And that pissed me off. You can be successful as a business person, but how can you like live with yourself if that's what you're like systemically creating. I just couldn't stand that. And so I was learning all this stuff and I saw how it was kind of an abusive industry. And and most lawyers, like they hate marketers. They hate us. They hate us and they wish they didn't have to spend money with us. And I get that because it's a well-earned reputation. So it was kind of easy for me to move out from Avo into like, hey, what I really liked doing while I was there was teaching lawyers about the internet, teaching lawyers about websites and H1 tags and Google Analytics and all that stuff. That was awesome. And so the next obvious career was for me to move into doing this for myself. So you're saying, so back then, no one really knew anything about SEO and there was a bunch of predatory companies that would prey on lawyers. Yeah. So not much has changed. No, well, that's the thing that drives me crazy. Like the companies have changed, but there's so much horseshit that happens still. You see this all the time. Five growth hacks to dominate your SEO market. Like bullshit. There's not five growth hacks to dominate your SEO market. Or you're on a proprietary platform that puts all of the power in your partner. And it's like these bad marriages that I don't know that it's gotten worse, but it certainly hasn't gotten better. Yeah. So why, why lawyers, by the way? Like you said that was an accident? It was an accident. I think, frankly, this industry works really well for me. I went into Avo and, and I had the very typical perspective of lawyers. I hate lawyers. I was flying out here. I was sitting in the bar at the Seattle airport. 
What do you do to the person next to me? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, you work with lawyers? I hate lawyers, right? You get that all the time. What I don't think the American populace sees is, I've been doing this since 2006, having the privilege of working inside the legal industry, you see that the legal industry is the backstop for someone who's having a really horrible day. And it doesn't matter what that day is. And that component, the legal component, is such a foundational crux to our society working the way it does, and it has to be there. I'm really lucky to be a really small part in that game. I love working with lawyers. I like that they're direct. I like that they're ambitious, mostly. It's just a good match for me. Yeah. I guess there's going to be people listening to kind of different levels of, let's say, leveraging marketing within their law firm. Yeah. Nowadays, I mean, I think everybody's pretty much familiar with SEO. I don't know if they could all define it, but they view it as important to some degree. Sure. And yet, I think marketing to an extent has become more fragmented than ever. What would you say to someone if they're saying, well, what works, Conrad? What should I be doing? That's yeah. such, such a broad, loaded question that it's kind of an it depends answer. But how would you even go well, begin to answer but, that? But your, your answer's in the question. It depends. It always depends. And I think the problem that we have right now is most agencies like, I build websites. You need a website. I do pay-per-click. You need some more pay-per-click. I do SEO or look or social or whatever. But the reality is any given law firm you live in a set of realities, your competitive reality, you live in your ambition, like what do you want to do? Are you trying to grow by 20% or are you trying to double? Are you trying to add a million dollars to the top or $8 million? What are you trying to get to? What are your assets? Are you downtown and starting a new office downtown? Maybe you shouldn't be playing in the local game, right? Are you just starting out as a personal injury lawyer in New York City? Well, let's not, let's turn SEO off as something that we ever try and win. So you need to understand where you want to go what your assets and liabilities are, and then figure out how to make that work. There is the right marketing mix for each law firm. I feel like, and this came out in the call rail study that, that happened recently, no one looks to the agency for strategy. They're always looking for the tactical execution. And so what's missing is, how do I look at this entire thing and understand strategically, what is the right marketing mix for me to get where I want to go? And that's missing. It's totally missing. Yeah. So it's interesting. So when you were talking about like one of the examples you gave, let's say you're a firm, you're just getting started in New York City, you're asking about SEO. Now, it's interesting you you mentioned that you wouldn't even consider that. Nope. And yet SEO is a lot of what your team has done over the years. So yeah. it's a very unique answer because I see sometimes if it's an SEO company, they're going to say we're going to do SEO for everyone. Everyone can win. You know, we'll do a pay-per-click, a pay-per-click for everyone. It's like yeah. we will work with anyone, any type of firm. I like to believe that the people who lead these organizations know, I mean, I think they have a certain degree of subject matter expertise that right. obviously not everybody can win. That the firm that's been doing SEO for 20 years, that's right. been investing in it long term, has just dominated the rankings, has substantial presence online, that they're not going to lose their place to the firm that just got started yesterday. No, no. When you're to agencies, right, ask the dumb questions where you know you shouldn't do this and see if they push back, right? See if they push back. Like, we want a new website. Okay, great. Here's a $40,000 but why? Why do you need a new website? What's wrong with a website? Like those are the questions. That's what you need to answer before you engage. You need to make sure that someone is thinking about, is this the best use of your time, money? Otherwise, you're just, you're just outsourcing a tactical pair of hands and you can do that anywhere. It doesn't matter. Right. Right. And it's, it's really not asking yourself, what's really the problem? What's the root issue? Someone in their mind, they, I don't know, they'll, they'll go to a conference and come back and say, I need a new website. We need a new SEO partner. Now we need to start doing TikTok or, or right. whatever it is. Right. And if you ask them why, and they'll say, well, it's because I saw another firm that was doing it and they were successful. That means I should be doing it. The conferences are the problem. You go out and you talk to someone who is really big on TikTok and, oh, we, we got to go on TikTok. TikTok may not work for you, but it might, right? But like, you need to understand if that's going to get you where you want to go. And I think this happens a lot. You go to the marketing conferences, and I've been to far too many of them. You see this person who's doing the great, you remember Clubhouse? Everyone is excited about Clubhouse. Yep. 
being, well, let's jump on. Well, it's disappeared. It's gone. Meerkat was the same thing. There's lots of flash in the pans. There is the right marketing channel. There is the right marketing strategy for any given firm if you will put time or money into it, right? If you don't want to do that, like I can't really help you. You need to understand that you don't have to do all of the things. You don't have to do all of the things. And we, as agencies, we'd like you to do all the things because that means you're paying us to do the things. Right. Obviously, tactics, they're going to change. They're going to evolve over time. But what are like some of the key principles that just do not change? So this is a very non-agency answer, but it's, it's the most important answer. The best ROI you can get is referral business. And that's by being a great lawyer, treating your clients really, really well, and staying in touch with them. If you're not getting a lot of referral business, you should call into question whether or not you're treating your clients really, really well. It's a very late lagging indicator. But if you find that no one ever refers you business, you might be a pain in the ass to work with. You are not a great lawyer from the user experience. You may be great in the courtroom, but from the user experience, they're not going to go out on a limb to recommend you, right? And that is a really, really key thing. The other thing, this is a difference, but the law firms that have been able to go beyond brand awareness to brand affinity is magical. And it's really hard to do if you kind of keep yourself in the, I'm a lawyer who happens to be a business and instead reframe it as I'm a business that happens to be a lawyer. How would you define the two? So someone's listening, they're like, what's the difference between brand awareness, brand affinity? Oh man, a lot of you are spending a lot of time on brand awareness, but we're sitting in Atlanta here. So I can say there's a great easy one. I'm aware of Pepsi. You don't have to tell me what Pepsi is. I'm never going to buy a Pepsi because I drink Coke. It's the fundamental difference. There's the want and the need. I really, really relate to a brand and I want to be a part of that, right? That is brand affinity. And if you can make that jump, changes the game. Mm -hmm. Changes the game entirely. Yeah. As we talk about this, it's always in the back of my mind that depending on the firm that comes to you, you don't know essentially how much work they've already done, if a brand exists or yeah. doesn't exist. And it's almost like you become the outsource marketing department for numerous law firms. And it's like some require a lot more work than others, right? Yeah. Someone just starts their law firm and says, Conrad, I want to get 18 wheeler cases. Yep. Help me, right? And where do you begin? You have to begin with where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? Right. And frankly, most law firms do a horrendous job of understanding where they want to go. What are your quantifiable goals for 2023? If you're listening to this, do you know the answer to that? And does everyone in your firm know the answer to that? And then you have to back into, well, how are we going to get there? What is it going to take to get there? And if the answer is we just want to keep the lights on and keep moving, get all of your business from referrals and call it a day and don't spend any money on people like me or Google for that matter. Right. Which is totally fine. But if you are looking to build market share, right? You need to think about how much of my revenue am I going to put into this? How much am I willing to put into this? Because honestly, when you're investing in marketing, you're stealing from today's profit to build tomorrow's revenue. Yep. And you are less profitable in doing that. So growth costs money and, and the cost is your profit. So you need to understand, am I willing to invest this in order to get where I want to go? I don't think most people understand what that calculus looks like yep. because they don't even know where they're trying to get. Correct. And I would argue, I have yet to come across anyone that has been long-term successful that did not make that trade-off yeah. at a very high level for many years consecutively. Yeah. That's the whole point, right? And you can say like, we've got a bunch of clients that are very happy to be where they are. They have a nice website. And when people are looking for them because they get all the referral business, like they find them because they've got a unique name and it's easy. That's fine. Great. But if your audience is the growth-minded audience, and so you really have to think about what am I willing to put into this in order to get there? And this is the, the beer budget champagne taste problem where client in Texas, employment law firm, they want to be the biggest employment law firm in Texas. 
and they have a sub $10,000 budget. And I'm like, you're never going to get there. Yeah. So you will always be unhappy because you don't recognize that reality. Or what will happen is they don't like your answer. They'll go to somebody else where they like the answer they give them and then that won't work. And then they'll jump to somebody else. Right. That won't work. They'll jump to somebody else. That won't work. And then they'll say this stuff just doesn't work. I do believe that the more sophisticated attorneys have started to understand what it takes to actually win in this game. And I do think we've transitioned, especially with technology. It used to be this like, I'm going to figure out the Google black box and then I'm going to win everything. And that used to work. Like 2009, 2010, 2011, like it was not that hard. I'm going to change my title tags and all of a sudden the phone's ringing. That happened. Not anymore. Everyone else is changing their title tags already. The last time you were down here, you and I briefly talked about this in the sense of just how much the attribution game has changed. I think anytime anyone mentions attribution, you have unique thoughts on this. How do you approach attribution knowing where something's coming from? And then some things like, do you track everything? How do you measure, let's say, the success of a podcast, the driving cases, for example? Yep. So I am right about this, right? You, You have to do it this way. And most people don't. And this has really evolved from my listening to you. Because you talked about the focus on the brand, right? Focus on the brand. Chris Walker and you have really talked about understanding brand, brand affinity. When people are looking for a car accident lawyer, you want them to think about Smith & Jones, not I'm going to Google to car accident lawyer. That's the whole point of this. If you're doing that, the way we have traditionally done conversion attribution is to say, okay, I'm going to put together a really sophisticated system that understands when you click on this ad, you go to the website, I see a dynamic call tracking number from CallRail. I make that phone call. It goes into my intake management software. Ideally, that ties into my matter management software. And I tie that all together and I can draw a little pie graph and it's really good, which only works for those things that are direct response. And it works because when you ask someone, how did you hear about us? They'll say Google or the internet, which is really, really not helpful because on Google, you've got local organic LSAs and PPC to start out with. And you're spending money on all four of those things. And you need to know if those are working. In a direct response situation, super valuable. And you have to have that automatic attribution modeling. But you also have to have the question. And I don't like, how did you hear about us? I like, hey, Michael, we're really well known in the Atlanta market. And I like to send out a thank you gift to people who refer us business. You know, we're trying to send a bouquet of flowers to anyone. That open-ended question will get you telling me why you learned about it. Was it the podcast? Was it my kid's soccer team coach? Whatever, whatever it was, doesn't matter. And that has to be free form because you don't want a drop down because you want that person to go into why they talk to you. And now the problem is I've got two conflicting pieces of data. I've got my automatic reporting and I've got my how did you hear about us reporting. And so it's really hard for MBAs to draw a nice little graphs when you have conflicting pieces of data. But you have to dig into that and really deeply, truly understand why that person is connected with you. Why have they connected with you? That person that looks like it came from pay-per-click actually called you because you have this great reputation among the running community, right? And that changes everything. And so you have to take that discipline. And it's hard and it takes time and it's probably should not be downsourced to someone who's the marketing intern at the firm. I think if more people knew, if they truly knew how every client came into the firm, they would look at their marketing entirely different. So what happens is when you go through the process of actually rectifying and, and, and validating between these two conflicting sources, why did this person really connect with us? When you go through that process, at the end, you won't have a pie graph, but what you'll have is a deep understanding of, you know what, the podcast works for me. Mm-hmm. or that this works for me or that that works for me. And the other thing that happens when you're doing a lot of different things is it won't be a single answer. It's multi-touch. I heard you on the podcast. I saw you speak at the this. You're a member of the Eagles, whatever it is, and you help the Boy Scouts, whatever. It doesn't matter. I've got four reasons that you're connecting with me. And what you start to see, and it's all anecdotal, but you have the synergy of one plus one plus one equals seven. 
When you're running multiple marketing channels, everything else works better. The success you have in anywhere makes everything else work better. And that's amazing. Yeah, because I mean, even as you're describing, you've got like first touch attribution, like how they came in. They could have just, let's say a client reaches out to you. They say they hired you because they read your book, but they've been on your email list for three years. Right, exactly. And a really sophisticated CRM system will tell you that they've got the book. They'll tell you all the times they've been on your website for the past 12 months, what pages they've looked at, which emails they've opened. So you can build a really good picture of who this person is and why they're connecting with you. And you'll see all these dots connecting to, I now want to become a client. Yeah. So it's just kind of like this idea of like nothing works and then everything works. And for somebody who's listening to this and they're thinking, well, so how do I know what channels to invest in and like whether I should do, let's say we were talking about like a podcast or whether I should do a newsletter right. or whether I should do PPC or whether I should do SEO because it seems like if I do all these things together, they'll work better than the individual some of their parts, right? But at the same time, who knows? Like where should I be putting my focus? It's a time and money question. And you need to look at each individual channel and understand. So I'll use the construct of time and money to answer your question. Pay-per-click. If you have a lot of money in no time, go spend a ton of money on pay-per-click. Great. Right? People complain about how expensive it is, but you know what? 30% of the market, I'm pulling that number out of the air, 30% of the market goes through pay-per-click. So if you're ignoring that channel, you have just constrained your market by to 70% of what you could actually be. Now, does that mean if the cost per client is 20% of the value of that matter? That means you work for Google and me on Monday, but you've got money. You don't have time. Merry Christmas. That's great. Figure that out. On the flip side, you are starting out. You have time and no money. Put your time into your marketing. Go build relationships in your community. Go big on dark social. Go interview the, the restaurant owners. Like become a member of the community and really, really give back to the community. We talked about the kind of the American nobility, the entrepreneur. Go highlight people in the community, leaders. Like do that because you can spend your time and that will turn into, over a long period of time, a flywheel of referrals. That's amazing when you do that. Yep. So someone's listening, they don't know what dark social is. Oh boy. What is that? Dark social is what my take is social media done correctly. I think most of you, especially the agencies who serve as lawyers, think about social media with, I am posting all the time. I'm going to post and I'm going to post, and I'm going to post. And hopefully all these followers will start coming and I'll go viral and all this stuff. Bullshit. Like that's not how it works. Yep. Dark social is, I am going to get intimately involved in my community with a small number of people. I'm not looking for volume, but I'm looking for a small number of people who will amplify my message. So for example, you are going to, I, there's, a, there's a guy in Ohio, local ice cream store just opens up. He gives them $1,000 or something like that. And they do a contest to name an ice cream after something lawyerly. And so they come up with like the slip and fall banana split, right? And he- You just push, come up with that? No, no, no. This is true story. This is like, it sounds banana. It sounds bananas. <laughs> yeah. It's a true story. Like there are people doing this stuff because they're creative and they're getting into the community. This guy's named Josh Hodges, one of my favorite guys, but he, he has the time and he's putting his time and effort into the community. And now that ice cream shop pushes his message out. It's a tiny little thing, but you do that two or three or four times a week. I really believe this. You're building a referral network among the people in your community. And there's nothing better than that. It's amazing. But you need the time to do it. It takes a lot of time of the person who is probably the most expensive, important person in that agency because you can't give that to like Billy, the, the intern, right? right? You can't. Yeah. All this stuff. There's another component to all this. Like, So all this works when the law firm also works, right? So meaning that they still have to answer the call and they yeah. still have to respond to the inquiry and they still have to essentially get the intake right. Yeah. So you had Gary Falkowitz on. Interestingly, Gary said he got his start with Jerry Parker at Parker Wakeman. 
Me too. My very first client was Jerry Parker. But the intake is so important. And I think what happens with intake is the marketing people like are like, we're going to give you a bunch of leads. And the lawyers are like, just give me a bunch of leads and then I'll convert them all. You guys are so bad at converting leads into clients. I'll put you into two buckets. If you know your numbers, and a lot of you think you do, but you really don't. If you know your numbers, you're going to be upset about the numbers and you're not going to think you're good and your numbers are going to be better. If you don't know your numbers... You're going to think you do a great job and you actually don't. And I'll use a really simplistic number, your phone call answer rate. On average, my clients are between 90 and 94%, depending on the quarter of answering the phone, right? Those clients who know their numbers are annoyed by that, right? They're annoyed by what they're missing. Those clients who don't know the numbers think they're doing a great job. So sit down right now and think about what was my answer rate in March, right? And if you don't know that number, it's probably worse than you think it is. I promise you it's worse than you think it is. So what would you say to the person who says, well, Conrad, we sign 100% of the cases we want? They are 100% wrong. And what happens, so this mindset, this is another like second derivative mindset shift that you need to think through. When you're talking about we sign 100% of the cases, okay, A, you're wrong. So just know that you're wrong. And B, your focus is on what you're winning. You're missing the point. Think about the phone call answer rate. You have an 88% phone call answer rate. There's two different ways to frame this in your mind. Either I answer the phone 88% of the time or I miss 12% of our calls. It's the same math. It's a completely different mindset. So 80% of your time, that's right out of the air. But you should spend so much of your time thinking about the things that you miss. The amazing athletes, the amazing entrepreneurs, they don't focus on their wins. They focus on where they're not doing a great job. Like I'm a swimmer. I'm not celebrating my perfect stroke. I'm trying to find the things that are not perfect and fix those and make those small incremental improvements just by answering the phone from 88% to like a 94%. Think about it this way. You're growing your, just to get the average, you're growing your revenue by 6% just by answering the phone. Focus on reframe the question to not what you're winning, but where are the places that you suck? Where are we missing here? And along those lines, what are some of the KPIs you think firms should be tracking, whether marketing yeah. or even even otherwise? Yeah, so phone call answer rate is an obvious one. I do think you need to think about, this is a very traditional MBA answer, but what is your funnel? We typically, for our clients, use a intake qualified lead, which is basically a lead. We've made the phone ring. Most of you know that those are garbage. So between 60 and 80% of the leads, the time the phone rings, it's not actually a lead, but you have leads. And then I think the real key is consultations. Don't look at the leads. The leads don't matter. You need to be looking at things like consultation. And then from a consultation, we have attorney qualified lead, which is a client that we want or prospect that we want. And then you have the clients. And then you can cut that. And what you'll find is when you cut that by two things, marketing channel. So pay-per-click works really poorly. By marketing channel, referrals convert really well. Understanding the different marketing channels and how they convert because all leads are not created equal. And the other thing, and no one thinks about this, is what I call contact type. Phone call, form, fill, text, and chat all perform differently across that funnel. They perform dramatically differently. And so you need to understand that. So you're inciting, incenting the right behavior to contact you, right? Those are really important on that funnel. The other thing with that funnel that's amazingly important is velocity. No one's talking about velocity. You can talk about it as responsiveness, but if you've ever purchased a car, you understand the concept of sales velocity. The car salespeople, and I don't mean to equate lawyers with car salespeople, but the car salespeople are trained to not let you off the lot until you've bought the BMW. And the faster you make a decision, the more likely you are to make a decision in that favor. 
if you go out, you look at different cars, you go back to Evans.com, you think about the Lexus instead of the BMW, you talk to your spouse, blah, 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 you're less likely to buy that BMW. It's the same with law. The faster you can push people through that funnel, the faster that velocity is, the more successful you're going to be, your conversion rate is going to go up. And I would really want to look at each step in that funnel. And what are the things that we can do to improve the velocity here? So let's say for someone who's, I'm not tracking any of this stuff. In your experience, how effective are they at this? Well, they might be really effective, right? But if you're not tracking anything, the likelihood that you have a really good system and you have no data on that is pretty limited. Yeah. I think you know that. Yeah. It's possible. You may have worked at Nordstrom as a kid, right? And you've just got this great customer service perspective, but like the likelihood that you're doing a really good job and you're not tracking the numbers is is very limited. So there's a lot of 20, $25 million law firms out there making five to $10 million a year. Yeah. The funny thing is, the reason I got into this, I remember this. We used to just do SEO and pay-per-click and that was fine. And I never got further down the funnel. I'm sitting, big client, ex-client now, Michigan. I'm sitting up in their boardroom. I fly out to have their annual meeting. Dude walks in, there's 17 lawyers in the room. I know it's going to be a hard day. And he starts the meeting with, why shouldn't we fire you this year? And I'm like, okay, we've got a problem. And he's like, none of this stuff works. And I know because I'm tracking all these leads through my automatic tracking, we're delivering all these leads. And I'm like, what's going on? So we convinced them to like, we're going to go back and listen to your calls for three months. We're going to listen to your calls for three months and we're going to see what's going on. So I get this intern, by the way, every law firm should be recording your calls unless you're criminal defense, because you can't manage your intake unless you're listening to the calls. Sorry, aside. But we go back, I hire this intern who's going to spend the summer listening to three months of these inbound phone calls. And I'm like, here's how to set it up. I've got the spreadsheet, blah, blah, blah. She comes back to me like 10 minutes later. And she's like, Conrad, you got to listen to this. And I'm like, wait, no, no, come back to me in three months. And she's like, no, 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 I know what the problem is. What are you talking about? Their phone calls in April of that year still said, sorry, we are closed for the holiday season. We'll get back to you on January 7th when we're all back in the office. And you hear the lady on the phone go, what the fuck? And hang up. As soon as I got that, I sent that MP4 out to everyone who was in that meeting. I was like, this is where your problem is. They were sitting on so much opportunity who thought that they were still on Christmas break in April. It was crazy. Yeah. Anytime I've come across someone that says, we do a really great job of intake or we, you know, we're, we're doing phenomenal. I always encourage them just because I don't know, we'll call your firm. Call right? your just firm. reach out to your firm and they're like, no, I'm confident it's great, right? Well, okay, if you're confident, then there should be no problem. Just reach out and, and, yeah. and just see what that intake process looks like. Or sometimes it's like, submit a form on your website and then see what the response time looks like. If you think you're doing a really good job, you're not. If you know what the numbers are, and they may be really good numbers from a benchmark perspective, but they're going to annoy you. And that's a completely different mindset. If you think you're great, I'll give you another example. This happens all the time. We answer 100% of the calls. Really? Well, we have a call center. You think they answer 100% of the calls? You've never listened to these calls. You've never, ever listened to these calls and you don't want, know what the real number is. It's interesting you mentioned the call center because this is another one that came up recently and I said, like, well, call the call center and then just listen, right? Because if they're picking up, for example, after hours, just see what that client experience is like. I've listened to call centers that pronounce the name of the firm wrong. Yeah. We call call centers that say all available agents are busy right now. Yeah. Call centers that have backup call centers and they're full. 100%. So you've got the call center. Like, by the way, being a call center operator for a thousand different firms, rough job, right? You're working at home. It's a rough job. You're going to do, and I love some of these vendors, but you're going to do a B job at the best. You don't know how to pronounce their names. You don't really know about the firm. You can't talk to anyone at the firm. It's a Band-Aid. 
understand that for what it is, but make sure it's not a C job, right? If you're doing call centers, you have to record the calls. You have to listen to the calls. You have to be a squeaky wheel. You have to make them work hard for you because it's a hard job to do well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting how much of just this entire process falls on what happens when the phone is answered, if it's answered. Totally. And then if that part is not dialed in, everything upstream of that, for example, of, of the marketing, yeah. you can say, well, we just need more leads or then you get the leads. You don't like the leads, yeah. right? These are good or these are bad. Yeah. But it's interesting because then it's also a function of response time. You know, years ago, I remember we had a firm that they were saying they didn't like the leads that they were getting. Right. And we would go in and listen to the calls themselves. And the person would call in, they got a DUI. I think it was like on a Friday night right. or something like that. And they were calling them back on Tuesday, not even Monday. Right. And they're like, well, they didn't pick up for me. Yeah. Well, man, they got a DUI on Friday night. Yeah. What do you think? That, <laughs> what do you think they needed you? Yeah. As you sit back and think about it, it's so obvious you have to be there. And then what I talked about, that's sales velocity. That number is sales velocity. You're going from that lead to trying to schedule the initial consultation in four days. That's gone. Yeah. That's gone. Oh, yeah. It's gone. Yeah. Unless, I mean, you happen to be the only law firm in your entire market, which is no longer the case. Nope. Let's say somebody's listening to this. They're thinking, this sounds like a lot of work. And it is perhaps in the legal industry amongst marketing companies that there's this, this fallacy. And I think this is where a lot of firms get taken advantage of that there's some silver bullet out there that does not require you to do anything to be attracting catastrophic injury cases that are super high value. Yeah. All you do is write a check. Yeah, it is a lot of work. And it's also a lot of work for probably the most important people in the organization. If your marketing is being done by someone without any power and they're just creating grass for you, it's a lot of work and it's time and money. I think you can take some of the work out. Let me go back. It used to be that when SEO was easy, I had a bunch of lawyers who learned how to write really good title tags. And you could learn that and you get into WordPress and you could change those and it would, and it would make a difference. It was great. But those days have kind of gone by the wayside. The work that you should put in is understanding the metrics, right? Understand the business. Like, I don't want to talk about page load, time, or any like screaming frog reports or 404. Like, focus on the business metrics. What's driving the business metrics? And then put the squeeze on where it's actually not working. But drive the business metrics. And for the most part, like, you don't need to be hands-on on all this stuff. So I want to talk about the future in terms of where technology is going. Obviously, Clubhouse, it seems like that one didn't work out. You know? <laughs> and then, of course, there was all the discussion around Web3 and yeah. NFTs. But now there's a lot of conversation around AI and ChatGPT. And this one doesn't feel like the Web3 discussion. Yeah. Yeah. So I talked about technology used to be a leveling factor. And so like you could be a solo practitioner in 2008 and kill it online and build a massive practice because no one else was. So what are the differentiators? The thing with ChatGPT on a legal marketing perspective, from an SEO perspective, there's three legs to the SEO tool, technology, content, and authority. By and large, most of you have good technology. So you're mostly on WordPress. If you're not, you're crazy, but like you mostly have well-coded WordPress sites. Those problems by and large have been solved or are imminently solvable. Content, content's everywhere, man. I'm the solo practitioner. I can now have a 800 page word count site. It's easy to generate a lot of content. Now, is Google going to love this or hate it? They've done a 180. Like all this stuff doesn't matter. The ability to have a large volume of content, the long tail, all that crap solved, right? That has now been solved, right? And there's lots of ways I can take ChatGPT and put some other scrubbers and it's completely indistinguishable by computers to actually determine whether or not it's AI written or Conrad written, now, doesn't matter. Now, for someone wondering this, so this is interesting because there's always been a lot of content. Like anytime you yes. type anything into Google search, you scroll to the bottom, your page right. one of a million, right? right? So there's always been a lot of content. I know a lot of your talks are kind of high level. This is super tactical. There's too much legal content. 
right? It's not like Google's searching for that perfect page to serve up. They're trying to determine the difference between all those pages that look like long tail content to you, but there's already a thousand of them out there anyway. Why you? For my take, the AI generated content in the SEO game is going to just add more pages, but it's not going to actually differentiate why you, why your page is ranking. And that is really heavily focused on backlinks and the localization of your backlinks. And if your SEO agency isn't spending a lot of their time thinking about that, we're missing the boat. I would argue, I think many agencies are already or should be leveraging any types of tools that can create greater efficiencies and leverage. Of course. Chat GPT, wonderful. But that doesn't necessarily mean like if someone's asking, hey, well, why would I pay my agency if I can use Chat GPT to generate blog posts or even if they could use Chat GPT to generate blog posts. But that, that's not really what you're paying an agency to do. You're paying the agency to drive consultations. Consultations, not leads, consultations for the marketing channels they're working on, period. Right. Right. And it doesn't matter what they do. I agree 100%. What do you see? We talk about the future. Depends on what you, whatever you consider the future. But let's say five years from today, what does the legal industry look like? What, what do you think changes or what stays the same? I am super passionate about this piece of this. We talked about brand affinity. The law firms that can figure out brand affinity. I like you. I don't even know what you do. Are you a divorce lawyer, a car accident? I can't remember, but like you're everywhere and I like you. If you can figure that out, that is a competitive advantage that is completely bulletproof brand awareness and brand affinity. And there are firms that are really going to great lengths to make that happen. And those firms, and it, it can be a 40 lawyer firm or it can be a one lawyer firm. And I've seen it across the spectrum. Those firms that are figuring out how to build brand affinity, you're flipping the narrative about lawyers. We talk about it like people don't like lawyers. I'm sorry, flip the narrative. You don't have to like lawyers, but you know what? That lady, Mary Jones, she's a great person. I don't know what she does. She's a lawyer, but she's all over the community. She supports the things that I care about. And it can be anything, right? It could be I'm supporting businesses in Atlanta. It can be, I'm supporting women in Atlanta. I support Christians in Atlanta. I'm really into preservation or I want to help homeless dogs. It doesn't matter. Build that affinity with an audience. And now you have a brand that stands for something that people are going to come to you with. And the problem here, Michael, this drives me bananas. The people who have done this, sometimes you'll get the, you know what, Michael, I'm getting all of these requests for practice areas that we just don't do. It's such a waste of my intake's time. It's like, you're winning the game, dude. You're winning the game. You've got the hardest part, which is getting people to call you and want to hire you. Figure out something to do with that, but you're winning the game. Yeah. We talked about this earlier. The people who are building their business, like have a, a significant portion of business from referrals, like they're nailing it. They're doing a great job. And that's the same thing with brand affinity. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because we have a firm in New Orleans and they do a lot of like grassroots marketing efforts. Obviously, there's a ton of huge, huge law firms in New Orleans that yep. are just spending their way. I mean, they've been traditional advertisers for decades. Right. And yet this firm is gobbling up market share because their cost of acquisition is like a quarter or even a fifth of some of these larger firms. And you think, how? And it's because they just have the community. Yeah. They like them. If you are liked as a lawyer, you win. Like, I hate to say it's that simplistic, but if that's what your objective is. By the way, I can't, I can't spend my way into this tomorrow. Mm -hmm. It is a flywheel. It takes a lot of time. But if you are loved by your community, people want to support, like, you win. You win. You can't take that away from you. Just to give somebody an idea, because I, I think this is important, and this is often what's, like, overlooked, especially with a lot of, like, marketing online. How long does it take? I'll even narrow this a little bit. Let's say you've got a small firm, personal injury firm, super competitive market. Let's say they're under a million in revenue. Yeah. They want to grow by a million in revenue. They probably have to increase the number of cases they're bringing in on average each month by 25 to 50%. Okay. It's a flywheel. You are going to take 12 months to build that flywheel. 
The other thing is you said you're, you're a small law firm in a large market. Don't boil the market. Find a thing. doesn't matter what it is. Again, I'm all about those small local businesses. If you want to support the local businesses, that wins, right? Do that. If you are into running, do that. If you are into Christianity, do that. Like build that affinity. You do not have to boil Atlanta. You can find that piece of your market and have people love you. Build, build a cyclist. Everyone is into something. That's the cool thing about this. Everyone is into something. And so build it there. Start there and don't try and boil the ocean, which is really, really important. But this is a 12 months before anything happens. And it's 24 months before the flywheel is really humming. It's a ton of time, right? I'm talking about every week I'm putting out some new content. Every week I'm connecting with another person in that community that I want to actually. And it takes time. But it works. It works. And you guys know that it works because you buy other stuff the same way. Yeah. I think that's the main thing. It's just really carrying an immigrant mindset of delay gratification yes. to your marketing, to your business. Because, I mean, your future self is always going to be grateful that you yeah. planted those seeds early. 100%. I just think that so many people are looking for those quick wins. And oftentimes they're not building the brand. They're not building brand affinity because they're just looking at what is the trend today? What's the tactic that I can leverage today? That continuously changes over time. The only quick wins are things that other people haven't found yet. And I spend my career and there are lots of other people spending their career looking for the things <laughs> that are working and no one else is doing. In legal, online, the five steps to dominate your SEO market, it doesn't exist. It's not a thing. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I hope that in the upcoming years, there is more harsh truths delivered because I think that'll be good for everyone because yeah. then ultimately, I think the, the cream rises to the top and the people that are succeeding, that are approaching marketing the way that you've described, they should be succeeding. That makes sense. I mean, they've done the work. I think the ones that are looking for shortcuts and saying, well, if I just spend X amount of money in, in this one channel, then I'll be able to like pull cases away from the person who's been investing in the long term, providing great customer service and client experience, driving tons of referrals like those are the businesses that are going to be around for the long term. I don't think that changes. No. I think the ones that are kind of the fly by night are the ones that kind of jump from either agency to agency or tactic to tactic. And you'll know that you're falling into that trap if you click on the ads that are like the five easy steps, right? The easy steps are over. 2009, come talk to me. Me and Jerry Parker, were, we were killing it on the East Coast in SEO, but that was 2009. I agree. Well, Conrad, as we come to a close, this being the Game Changing Attorney podcast, what does being a game changer mean to you? I mean, this goes back to my entrepreneurial mindset. If you support the nobility of the American entrepreneur, right? And I, we talked about dark social, getting involved in your community. If all you do is work on being intentional about your business karma, I think people think about business karma as like, I do good things and good things come back to me. Be intentional about it. Go out of your way. Help people who don't need it. But like, and you can understand that you're doing this to build that rapidly enthusiastic referral group, right? Be intentional about business karma. Be intentional about knowing that, especially in legal, the more you give back and the more you are public about the giving back that you do, the more you'll win. It's corny, but it's real. And the people who are winning right now are intentional about creating positivity among other businesses and other people, and they're winning, and that's why. I want to give a huge thank you to Comrade Sam for taking the time to speak with us today, and I want to thank you, yes you, for listening to this podcast and for your commitment to growing as a leader. If you found this episode valuable, here are three free ways that I can help you grow your law firm. Number one, download the first chapter of my book absolutely free at GameChangingAttorney.com. Number two, you can shoot me a text at 404-531-7691 and I'll answer any question that you've got for me. And finally, number three, if you can leave this podcast a five-star review, it'll help us gain access to more influential thought leaders and bring their lessons learned here to you. 
For more information on our interview with Conrad Sam, see the show notes for this episode in your podcast app or visit gamechangingattorney.com. Oh, 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 o